Welcome to Overtired. We used to go back and forth on doing these uh, these these intros. Yeah, and I've just been I've just been taking them. I haven't even given you a chance, Christina. You haven't. And you know, I was actually thinking that I was like, I guess this is just the Brett show now. No, I'm kidding. No, uh, it, it, it's always <laughs> been the Brett show. Let's be honest. This is true. It has always been the Brett show. Yeah, no, we used to always go back and forth. Let's try that for next week. I'll try to to introduce it again for our longtime listeners. But for for new people, why hello. don't we do? Why don't we do both this week? Why don't Why don't you do it right now? Welcome to Overtired. I'm Christina Warren. How are you doing, Brett? I am good. Um, yeah, this feels better. We should have done this to start with. That should have been the way we started the episode. I uh so okay I, I I had some I had some uh some ADHD medication issues this week that I need to I need to complain about. Okay, let's get into it. So it used to be back in the in the dark ages of like uh 3 or 4 months ago, I used to have to call the nurse. The nurse would then call the doctor or email the doctor, the doctor would then mail me prescriptions and I would wait until the the clinic told me that my mail had arrived. I would go to the clinic, pick up the envelope and drive that to the pharmacy and then wait for them to fill it. A few months back, that changed and suddenly my doctor was able to uh, electronically transfer the script. So I could just call the nurse email the doctor, and then have the script there. Then uh, she gave me a number to text her directly, taking one more part of the chain out. So I could just text my doctor when I needed a refill. She would electronically transfer the script, and then I would go pick it up. Things got so much easier. And then last week, I, I texted on Tuesday that it was time for my refill, and I didn't hear back. So I texted again on Wednesday when I was completely out of pills. Didn't hear back. Finally, uh, no. Then I texted again on Thursday, and then it was Friday morning when it was during the the introductory introduction meditation to a yoga class. I realized, oh shit! I bet you my doctor quit, and I missed the memo. And now I'm, and then I spent the whole class thinking about how how I wasn't going to have a doctor and wouldn't be able to get any of my meds, and it was not very meditative. I was going to say, that seems like the worst thing for realization for you to have during yoga because you don't want to have like an anxiety attack during your yoga class. Although it could also be the best time since I was working very hard on things like breathing and and centering myself. So maybe it it, like it was a wash. Uh Yeah. Okay. I can see that. Okay. Anyway, go on. Right after class, I call and I'm like, hey, does my doctor still work for you? And they said, yes. And I said, okay, so she's not responding to text messages. And they put me into the voicemail of the nurse who then called me back a couple hours later to say that, yeah, uh, she, she'll email the doctor. We're back to the old way of doing things. But the doctor hasn't been responding to emails. And it's Friday, which is her day off. And Monday's a holiday. So now I'm going over a full week without my meds, which is not great for much of anything, but I do have a lot of TV I could talk about. No, I mean, that's good. I mean, I'm I'm really upset that you don't have your meds and haven't had them for a week. I'm glad we can talk about TV. I'm concerned <laughs> that it, it, you know, that it took this long. Like, okay, so how long have you been trying to get in touch with your doctor? Since Tuesday. Okay. This is a question that doesn't come from judgment because I do this too, but I am just curious, like... Was there a reason you didn't reach out earlier before you realized you were okay? So the thing with ADHD stimulant medications is if you seem too eager, you run the risk of them thinking you're abusing your meds and cutting you off. So you have to be very, or at least around here, you have to be very much like, eh, whenever you get to it, no big deal. Eh, You know, whatever's fine. Just, uh, you know, if you feel like it, you can fill those meds I desperately need to continue my way of life. Uh, so I didn't want to appear over anxious uh, to a point. I'm like super gun shy about it because it's bitten me before. 
Right. Uh, so I'm more cautious than I need to be, but it's still this environment where we're going to give you drugs that change your life and make it possible for you to be a normal person. But we're also going to stigmatize the taking of these meds and make it next to illegal for you to even fill a prescription. Which, I mean, and it's okay. It's such bullshit. And it's, it's so different depending on where you are who your insurance company is, who your doctor is, which to me is even worse, right? Like, I, not that it would be, not that I would like encourage this because I would then be fucked, but, and and a lot of other people would be fucked. But if this was at least a consistent thing across the country, like if this was something that all doctors kind of followed, then, you know, there'd be a baseline. But instead, there's this, you know, really fucked up system of hierarchies that we as humans and as people with ADHD don't have any control over. And it's not even strictly something where you can be like, oh, it's based on your class and it's based on this and that. Like, I'm sure that has things to do with it, but it's not even strictly based on that. It's literally based on, you know, this arbitrary thing, which is what doctor you can get who takes your insurance or what part of the country you live in as far as what rules they're going to follow to, again, as you say, how they're going to treat you with the meds that you need to live a normal life. Like, just for comparison, it is, I think I've said this on, on our first show back, it is remarkably easy to the point that it's probably a little bit too easy for people. Now, this might be changed in COVID times, but for people who work at Microsoft, who go to the doctor's office that's on campus, the way that you could get somebody to just write you a script for some Adderall or Dexedrine or whatever is, I mean, it's, it's laughably simple. Um, I hadn't, I didn't have any, you know, proof of anything. I didn't have like my diagnoses. I mean, obviously if they'd contacted my doctor and they saw my chart, they would see my whole history of stuff and it would have been fine. But they wrote me, I think it was three scripts of of my um, meds now they, ha- they they don't have refills and it had to be you know refilled sure, like sure. right on time or whatever but they wrote me like three scripts just based on what I told them in like my annual physical first meeting <laughs> and I know people who have gone in and have just talked about what symptoms they have and have been able to walk out with a script for ADHD medicine again like if they wanted an ongoing thing they'd need to get some sort of diagnosis or whatever. But not not a big deal. And and as it stands, like my doctor is not in the state of Washington. And so that does complicate things for refills because technically the pharmacy is supposed to call him um, or his office and, you know, ensure that I haven't forged the um, uh, the script for, for, the, for it to get filled. But I would say it's probably been about 50-50 if that's actually happened. Yeah. And one time, I mean, and, and and that pharmacist, like, she will always be my hero. It was like a Saturday. And I, I dropped it off. And I was like, look, I know that this or Sunday. Or something. I was like, look, I know that this is, you know, I'm, I'm coming in late. Uh, I can get this, you know, tomorrow, whatever. It's not a big deal. And she was like, no, you need this, even though it was the end of the day and filled it for me. <laughs> like very, very nice. And and I've been really lucky that way that I've had that. I've also been in situations, um, not for my ADHD meds, but for when I used to be on um, ProVigil, which I guess was an ADHD yeah. med, um, where that was just a nightmare to get. Like my insurance stopped covering it. And then it yeah. was one of those things where, okay, even if I went over my um, deductible, like if, even if I met my deductible, um, they would only cover so much of the provigil. And so it got to the point where I was like, oh, I, I can't afford to take this anymore because this is $1,500 a month. And yeah. that is not something that I can afford to you do. You can actually buy the generic with Bitcoin from overseas if you know where to look. Yes. And, and you I can't I'd do that at- with most stimulants, but with, with provigil, you can. Right. And I'd actually looked at that and I tried the new vigil twice and the new vigil just doesn't work for me. It like actually fucked me up in like a bad way. The AMLO version. Yeah. Not as good. Yeah. No, but like the new vigil, which was the one that they, you know, created to extend the patents or whatever, Mm -hmm. that one just fucks me up and it just doesn't work for me. Yeah. But um, so I haven't been on ProVigil in years and years and I used to love ProVigil, but that one was like almost impossible to get. So it, it's just such a weird, the stupid ins- thing. The insurance requirements around ProVigil were crazy. 
Mm-hmm. Like you had you had to have tried New Vigil first. And that had to you had to have had like you had to try for three months and then that had to have not worked. And then you had to go through all the uh what do they call that? When when the doctor gives you a prescription and you go to the pharmacy, but the insurance company has to call your doctor to make sure they were serious or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, author, uh, pre something authorization. Uh, pre authorization. Um, yeah. Like, and by the time I got through all of that, the insurance company then said, oh, we changed our mind. We can't give you this drug. And I don't remember what the final reason was for it, but I never did get ProVigil covered by insurance. Yeah, I, I had had it covered when I was under my parents' insurance. And when I moved from that, and then I was on COBRA for a period of time. Um, and, and I paid for COBRA, uh, and this was when I was working at Mashable. And I paid for it, even though it was a lot of money, yeah. because this was before. Um, it's still you know, cheaper Ace, than buying insurance. Um, uh, well, it was still cheaper than buying the medication. Oh, uh, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, this was before the ACA. My whole fear was I was like, okay, I have pre existing conditions. I can't get insured because I wouldn't have been able to get insured for less than what Cobra cost. Yeah. Um, and so until Mashable got health insurance, I was playing for Cobra. Then Mashable got health insurance and it was decent and it covered my provisional at first. And then I like, they had some sort of, you know, in the fine print, some sort of hard limit on how much they would pay for medications. And I hit that at like month three of Pro Vigil. Yeah, right. And and I was like, oh shit, okay. And they're like, yeah, we're not gonna cover this anymore. Fifteen hundred dollars. I'm like, oh well, phew, that's that's that's, uh, that's a third of my of my salary. I do not have that. Um not doing it. And then when we tried years later, we were on even better insurance and it was like they were like, No, this is just not covered. I think it was the same sort of thing with what you said, like I'd have to try other stuff. And I was just at that point, I'd been off it for so long. I was like, I'm I'm just not going to be on ProVigil. I'm just going to take, I, he just prescribed more, me more dexedrine. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, but this is frustrating to me hearing you talk about this is that you knew you were running out. You do all the right things. Now you're going to be out of your meds for, you know, a week when if you reached out a week before you run out, which is not an insane thing to do, it's every, not. Other, every <laughs> other medication that I have actually is set to refill. Be, like I can, I can call in the refill a week or two before, you know, it, yep. it, it's due. That's fine. Um, so that's not an insane thing to do. But because if, if you dared like reach out a week before your meds went out, then they would look at you as some sort of drug seeker because right. you're selling Adderall to kids. And it's right. like, hate to break it to you, but the kids are going to find the Adderall <laughs> more easily than I am. Way, actually, <laughs> uh, No shit. That's what I was going to say. I was like, I was like, honestly, if, if, you know, if these were normal times and college campuses were open more broadly, I would say you should just go to like, you know, university of Minnesota and like ask the teens. And I'm not even joking because they would be able to like, probably get it to you for like, not that much more than, than, um, I mean, more than what you're paying with insurance, but certainly if you needed like a week's worth of pills, you could just go and pay for that. Like yeah. it's, 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 it's stupid. And, and it's, as you say, it like creates this stigma. I read this thing in Slate this week about a woman who had really difficult labor and was refused um, any uh, form of opiate, like any form of like oxycodone, even though she literally had like a hemorrhage and was in like unspeakable pain from um labor and just the the like I, I i and there was a whole discussion in the comments from people about how obviously like the opiate crisis is a real thing and people need to take it seriously and yes for many years um opiates were way over prescribed and people got oxy prescriptions like it was candy and that's been very very bad but now it's swung to this other side where you know people who might genuinely need it don't have a way to get it even in the hospital like they will you know treat them with you know like like tylenol um and and you know when when you when you're you've had like a hemorrhage from from like you know labor and or you know when when like your you know entire like lower half has been split open like (laughs) yeah you know, sorry, that's uh, some Tylenol is not going to not going to solve that. Like, you know, um, but, the, but but they give you that special Tylenol that they inject in your butt. 
There, no, I'm serious. There's one that's supposed to be like four times strength, regular Tylenol, and they inject it in your butt, and it's good for about three hours of a certain amount of pain relief, like nothing close to an oxy, but right. it helps a little. But I, like, and that's when I've gone in with like uh, debilitating back pain. Sure, that's sure. the best they can give me, but that's nothing close to like major <laughs> surgical after aftermath or anything like that well that's what i'm saying i'm like if you've had a c-section and you've hemorrhaged i'm sorry but like some even some like hospital grade tylenol is not gonna touch that like right that that's actually like what like <laughs> you, say you know costco grade no no i said oh. i said um i said hospital grade oh. <laughs> costco grade would be funny though um <laughs> no but like but yeah i mean you know and i can see that for people who have back pain and like especially yeah you got to be careful with people who are addicts and whatnot but like it's shitty that they, you know, but like this pendulum has now swung the other way where doctors are so incredibly like afraid to prescribe right. anything that they don't. And it's weird because if you look at other countries, they're not actually better with stimulants. That's the one thing. Um, they're actually usually worse with stimulants, but at least with pain meds, if you go someplace like France or, or other parts of Europe, they're a lot more chill about it. Um, and I think... I, I'm sure people who are smarter than me have done studies and research into why there's been an opioid crisis in the United States, but not in other parts of the world. Uh, and, and I'm sure that a lot of that, frankly, comes down to the uh, both the insurance companies and the drug companies and kind of the proliferation of a lot of those things. But it is sort of interesting that so many of the problems that we have in the United States with people getting access to the drugs they need, being able to pay for the drugs they need, and also the addictions that we have to mm -hmm. um, prescription medications don't exist other places. Well, I mean, they do, but they're treated as medical issues and not legal issues. Okay, that's like, fair. Addiction is it's a human condition, but it, totally. it's a medical condition. It's not uh, a moral failing or legal. It, it We shouldn't treat addiction with jail. We should treat it with rehab. That seems pretty basic to me. And, yeah, no, I, and I totally And you'll find agree. in most of those countries that don't have major opiate crises, they haven't criminalized it, and they offer treatment options. They probably also don't have uh, major pharmaceutical companies that have basically uh uh what's the word when you uh subsidized doctors i was gonna prescribing say oxycontin and whatnot but no i was gonna say I, I actually do think that's probably a big part of it because you know um as you say like addiction is a human thing and it's not like it's it's gonna not happen in, in some parts of the the world but i think when you get rid of that incentive that so many doctors have from pharmaceutical companies mm -hmm. who will pay them essentially to prescribe and to, to do things, give them kickbacks. When that system doesn't exist, then you don't have situations where people are getting scripts for things that they don't need and more of it and are, um, you know, maybe watching things to be saying, hey, I've been prescribing you, you know, this thing for a while now and your accident was a long time ago and i'm concerned right. that you might be developing some sort of dependency rather than you know what's happened here which was that you know for many many years it would just be okay yeah that's fine i'm just going to continue to write yeah. this script for you and you'll become more and more addicted um over time and and it will devolve into something much more dangerous yeah anyway so hopefully you will get your your meds um on tuesday um, I sure hope so. Or it's going to be a hell of another week. <laughs> Hopefully she won't go back to having to mail the scripts because that took like five days to get through the mail. So I would have to call like I, I would time it to be like six days before I absolutely needed the script. And then that just pray that the mail showed up on time. But anyway. Yeah, I, I, I and like this is completely my white lady like privilege because i can go karen on people and and it's sort of socially acceptable but uh this is the sort of situation where i would call if possible like the nurse again or whatever on tuesday and be like hey i'm really not trying to be a pain oh but I've yeah been without I my will. meds for a week nurses a nurses don't judge me uh 
And nurses are good because they make the call as to whether or not it's worth bugging the doctor about. So I find it, I can, I can, anytime I can call a nurse and be like, Hey, do you know what's up with this? And they don't, they, they're not the ones marking drug seeking behavior on your files. So. Yeah. Um, All right. Tell so me, what, sorry, I was going to say, what, what shows have you been watching? Since oh, that's what you've had time to do. Uh, let's see. I started watching teenage bounty hunters on Netflix. It's not good. Um, that doesn't sound good. No. So I, I went back and was watching, um, the scrubs mm-hmm. and, um, and Cougar town yeah. and, oh, and then a lot of YouTube lately. I've just been, I've been watching all this stuff about like the history of the world from like, uh, fossil records and early humans and just weird hour-long pbs specials on the first hominids stuff like that it's been nuts it's been weird i i really i've really come to appreciate and enjoy youtube in ways that i uh am sort of embarrassed by sometimes about how much like actual youtube content i watch sometimes (laughs) but it's it's a really good um it's it's probably my favorite way to turn my brain off yeah it, it but it's it can be educational at the same time it's a it's where i go to instead of trying to get into a 30 minute show yep. i'll just dive into a 10 minute youtube video on some topic i find you know tangentially interesting do you have a favorite channel i it will it varies cuz i watch so many different things sure. uh and i mean no, I don't think I have like a a a, a favorite because a lot of the stuff that I watch on YouTube is actual crap. Like some of it is actually interesting. Like I really <laughs> love um like um the the angry video game nerd or whatever, or he does these you know angry like, dad long... gamer. No, isn't that Victor? Um, That's Victor. I think that I think is Victory. Um, <laughs> uh, the angry video game nerd. He he's been around, he's been around for a long time. His channel's name is um Cinemassacre, and what he does is he finds like old video games and he um does reviews of them on the systems and just kind of talks about like how good or how bad they were usually how bad they were across all their iterations like he did one a couple of years ago where he played all of the home alone games with macaulay culkin which was pretty awesome um, because all of those games are terrible. Um, but, but occasionally he really likes the games, which is very, which is always like really great because he loves to be super critical and like, obviously gets like, you know, like um, performatively angry about stuff. But when sure. he played earthbound, which is one of my favorite games of all time, probably my favorite game ever. Um, like, I, I love Earthbound so 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 much, and I'm I like I I can say this about so few games, so I feel like I I can't actually like take like be like that asshole who's like I was into it before it was cool, but I genuinely was into Earthbound before anybody else cared about it. Like it's now widely considered one of the best games of all time, and people like talk about how great it is, but almost everyone who says that discovered it like in the 2000s and I was playing it in 1995. I bought it very soon after it came out. It was like a 60 or $70 game that I paid for with my own money. I was 12. Um, it came with the strategy guide that had like the scratch and stiff stickers and would kind of give you the walkthrough. <laughs> and before the game even came out, Nintendo, because it was a super Nintendo game and Nintendo power, you know, wrote a lot of kind of glowing things about it in their advertorial way that, frankly, I still really liked and appreciated, um, got me super hype on the game. And I was like, this sounds like exactly the sort of game that that I love because it's this game that takes place in kind of the not so distant future. And it was kind of like a modern RPG. And like, you know, you had an ATM where your money would go and you would call your dad to save your game. And it was just weird. And it was this kind of Japanese interpretation of like what like Americana looked like. But there was also weird shit like you you get this girl, Paula, who joins your team and you save her parents run a daycare center, which is then taken over by a cult. And so you have to like, free the town and like the daycare center from this cult and then there was like a blues band that keeps getting in it with the mob of some sort for money (laughs) who you have to like pay off them and and there's just all this weird shit there's aliens it's a weird game but it's a great game 
and now it's widely considered like greatest game of all time but i was genuinely like played it like the summer it came out like i bought it it did not sell well when it came out um but his episode in earthbound it's like a it's like a 40 minute episode is just really fantastic and it's one of those things where even he has to be like damn it you know this is so good you know this is such a good game or whatever um but yeah he's one of my favorites i guess if i had to think but he doesn't make videos that often um so that's but that's that's one of my favorite channels. But I watch a lot of crap. Like I watch a lot of like YouTube drama and okay. and stuff like that, which um I didn't know that was a thing. Oh, it's a massive apparently, thing. And, apparently and, my YouTube's stuck on historical documentaries. But well, see, this is what's so great about YouTube is that both the good and the bad thing is that the algorithm will determine what sort of content you wanna uh, watch. So so I I, I can generally trust the recommendations because they pretty much pull from channels I've actually subscribed to. Right. So this one came up about early humans and I thought, oh, I haven't seen this one yet. And I started it and it opens up with the mainstream researchers don't want you to know this. <laughs> and it was, yep. it, it the whole thing was about like alien, like ancient aliens kind of stuff. And I didn't make it very far into it because they kept talking about mainstream science <laughs> like it was the devil. And and I gave up on it. But somehow that made it through the algorithm. I guess it was just related enough. Oh, yeah. No, there's there's been a whole thing um, about like how the algorithm can sort of radicalize people. And <laughs> yeah. and it so actually I'm, I'm going to put this in our in our notes, but. Uh, my friend Kevin, um, and I, I used to work with him. He's fantastic. At uh, he's now at the New York Times. Uh, he wrote this amazing um, story last year called um, "The Making of a YouTube Radical," where he basically was able to um, go through the the YouTube history of people who've become radicalized and like alt right or whatever. Yeah because of youtube and going through like what videos they've watched and what their history has been and you could kind of try to like reverse engineer how the algorithm worked to take them from kind of you know standard sorts of topics into getting them into more and more radicalized fare and it's it's a really fascinating um story and and i do think that like the algorithm is in general really good but it does have those offshoots which are not unproblematic and and have been criticized rightly so the 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 um the way that the new york times um story was done like just like from a graphics perspective is really really fascinating because it'll take you through kind of like the timeline of everything he watched and you can kind of see like the like visually the way that it, it brings up the content he's watched is just actually really incredible like yeah. the, the tech that the the design and the tech that they did for that is some of their best it's it's like not as good as snowfall but it's like snowfall-esque like it's that same sort of visual design cue and, and snowfall for listeners who might not be aware is this very famous new york times story where they created this visual addition to the text that brought you completely into what happened in this story and it was kind of a breakthrough in terms of visual journalism and web design and then every single you know like uh you know web publisher wanted to have their own snowfall moments and uh you you fight you saw you know uh, newspapers and magazines hiring lots of data journalists and, and javascript and front-end people to try to uh bring those sorts of things to the stories because yeah. when you do it right it's actually really incredible but Cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. Put, put some links in for me. Yeah, you got it. I'll check this um, stuff out. Yeah, it's it's good. Um, but yeah, so so you're watching YouTube and finding your historical stuff, usually not being radicalized, but occasionally, occasionally, being led into, occasionally, occasionally, it just slips through. Yep. Well, and here's the problem: I love the subculture bullshit so much, and I love the crazy shit on YouTube and in general. And then that will become what YouTube recommends me to watch for the next few weeks. I've been watching a bunch of like tech content recently, like a bunch of people who do like PC overclock specs or Mac, you know, builds or things like that. And so that's taken up my recommendations. But there are times when it will be like the flat earthers and like the worst <laughs> types of people just because I've been like obsessed with that stuff, not because I believe it. 
but then that like just ruins my algorithm for X period of time. I get and I'm like, I don't want to see this. I get the videos debunking the flat earth videos, which I feel is just a waste of YouTube time. Like why, why, who's paying enough attention to this shit that we need to scientifically debunk the idea that the earth is flat. Anyway, you know, who showed up in my recommendations this week was uh, theme park boy who oh. I'm sure has a name. I'm positive he has a name. I do not know it. But he showed <sighs> up to talk about all the news coverage that he received for his theme park video. And he went, I didn't watch the whole thing. He went for like half an hour. But he he read what was clearly a foreign language article, poorly translated, out loud, and then <laughs> took, took a lot of issue with... Um, I will say the semantics of this clearly translated article. It was entertaining just to watch him get flustered. Oh, you poor Aspie, wonderful. <laughs> t- you, 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 you poor, you poor, beautiful, like Aspie Swifty. I'm so sorry. Oh my sorry. God. Do you, do you know the history of Asperger's? Like why no. it's called Asperger's? I have no clue. It's, um, it was this Nazi sympathizer doctor who came up with ways to, Determine whether or not children were worth keeping alive. Holy shit. Yeah. No, it is sorted. It is a very sorted history. And it's part of the reason they don't diagnose Asperger's anymore. That it's just part of the spectrum now. But just FYI, like there is some seriously sick shit behind that doctor. Like he wasn't an out and out Nazi, but he worked with the Third Reich. Uh, no, then he was not not Nazi. Sorry, that's the, uh, I, I'm sorry. That's how that Fair that's enough. how that works. Like, uh, and and I feel okay. Well, I take that back because that was a slur that I genuinely. <laughs> well, it's like, not I, it's not a slur so much as it is a reference to a history that got seriously whitewashed. Oh, but it is or some is color kind of, wash. Well, no. Here's the thing: it is a slur that we don't know that it's a slur, but it is, and that finds its way into the way we use language now because i wasn't saying it as a slur in that sense but i was admittedly like kind of joking in in a not completely kind way Um, i didn't mean anything (laughs) i didn't mean anything mean by it because i genuinely love this kid like i love him and i love like what he did and and i love that you watched his video like three times (laughs) and and how much you thought about it and like i genuinely like love his passion um, you know, I'm just like poking fun, you know, yeah. the same way you would poke fun. I would yeah. poke no, fun at I myself. Was, I wasn't you. judging you. I'm sorry if it came uh, across no, no, that way. No, no, no. I got you excited. Weren't. No, 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 you weren't. Because but but I'm judging myself. Like that's the thing. I'm like, I, I know that I was like teasing him with love, but for somebody who's new and listening to this podcast who doesn't know me and doesn't know that, like now I'm like, shit, they're <laughs> dude. Uh, I'm never I'm never gonna use like Aspie is any sort of pejorative ever again because holy oh my god i was reading uh an article written by uh an autism advocate someone who actually has autism and Mm -hmm. she was actually the one who kind of laid all this out historically and she said that she would miss the 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 uh kind of what you said almost a loving term like they would refer to themselves as aspies and she was going to she was going to miss that term of endearment, but couldn't use it anymore because of of what it represented. So yeah. you're not wrong. It was even among even among the autistic, it was considered a term of endearment for most people. A uh, total tangential thing, because I guess this is the weird. Well, this is our podcast. This but, is a tangent. Uh, what are we doing? I, I was just going to say, speaking of like weird, like holocaust things people might not know about ibm ibm was heavily involved in the holocaust how so they created the sorting machines and the uh like the the like the the machines that would basically figure out um the census and where what what um religion and and and, you know classification people were and where they were located do you have sources for this Yes, I do. And this I isn't it in some thing. radicalized YouTube video, is it? It is. A- it is absolutely not. It is absolutely not. In fact, uh, the the there were people who were like heavily involved in like working at IBM um, uh, Europe who were flat out Nazis, and people who were very close associated with 
IBM Corporation in New York who knew about this, and it took them until the late 30s to get rid of their association. And there's a great book that came out 15, 16 years ago called IBM and the Holocaust that's incredibly well-researched. Um, IBM has had to actually publicly, uh, they haven't atoned, frankly, the way they should, but they have had to publicly admit and accept their involvement in um, the punch card system. Yeah, no, this is this is not like in any way a conspiracy thing. This is something that is, it is fucked up beyond belief. And how it started was that this guy went to the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. and saw one of these IBM punch card machines on display. He saw the logo and he was just kind of struck and he was like, what the hell? What is this? And went into the history and it is incredibly, incredibly, incredibly disturbing Wow, uh, that one of the biggest and most important companies in American history and world history was like, um, I think because for such a long time, this is less true now, but for such a long time, IBM, even when it was a faltered giant, was still such a giant. I mean, you have to think they employ 250,000 people. Yeah. Like it's not like it's a big company and it's and it's a it's 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 big business. It, you know, has defined a lot of things. Uh, I think that it's one of those things. A lot of people probably it's a third rail. A lot of people don't want to touch and get into that stuff. I mean, it's a similar thing. People don't like to talk about like Henry Ford and Walt Walt Disney's anti-Semitism. Well, sure. You know, like I feel like now now that America is full of Nazis again. I feel like now is the time for companies to really own that kind of history. I agree. And and they have, it came up sort of in the context of uh, the last time it kind of came up, um, I guess, was was when some of the, the various tech companies, um, including the company I work for, um, you know, were uh, found to have agreements with, with ICE and, and you know, yeah. the Department of Homeland Security and things like that. And and it did come up again, I guess, more recently in that context. But it is interesting that it hasn't ever really been like this discussed thing. And, and I think that was the context where IBM finally has had to, you know, admit their culpability in some of this. But for a long time, they did try to deny it. And they did try to say, this is not a thing. Um, but uh, it is actually a thing. And wow. um, it is part of their history. And it is... You know, a, a big part of it, I think how IBM America has tried to get rid of some of the culpability is that they were like, oh, well, this was this was IBM, um, you know, the, this this was the um, this was the German part of of, of, of IBM right. or the other European subsidiaries. But the the book um, makes very good arguments um, that the, the people in, in the United States at the you know corporate offices were aware and that high up executives knew and were sympathetic um to to what was happening there um yeah. so yeah it's 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 an interesting thing for people to to look into for sure uh but uh yeah that i read i actually i didn't even read the book i listened to the audio book in god i don't know um 2004 um, it was one of the first Audible books that I ever got, and that's why I remember this. And it completely kind of blew my mind and changed my perspective. And and but I did even then I had this thing I was like, okay, but is this conspiracy theory bullshit? Like, is this actually true? And when I started looking into it, I was like, these sources seem to check out. This doesn't like the guy is obviously very, very like fervent and strong willed and. I would not disagree if people said, okay, maybe he takes it slightly further than what it actually was. Like, I think that that could be a, a fair assessment, but the the general thesis and the general like facts are um, not in dispute, even at this point by IBM. Huh. So speaking of the previous topic, yeah, here's another topic that's completely unrelated. Okay, great. Uh, I love our segues. I know, and this is this is again probably the worst segue you could have for a sponsor. But oh my god! But timing Th- wise, really it's, is. it's it's just it's time. But I mean, I'm sure if I were a fast enough thinker, I would find a way to to make this. Anyway, we'll, no, I, I actually I'll, do I'll know. I, I, do, I do know this. I'll justify it this way. Um, if you are trying to uh, escape um, oppression, Perfect. by your nation state. 
this is this is how you do it because today we're brought to you by ExpressVPN, and the copy they sent me is is pretty. It's it's amusing. So I'm going to I'm going to stick to it pretty closely here. When you use the bathroom, let's say you're at a coffee house and you go to the bathroom, you close the door behind you, right? Right. I mean, I'm making some assumptions, but you don't want random passerbys looking in on you, which... Usually not. Again, I'm making some assumptions, but... It depends on how drunk I am, but usually not. Right. Well, and it depends on what you're into. I mean, no kink shaming. Uh, Absolutely not. You do have a certain responsibility not to expose yourself to people who aren't also into that. Yes. Um, so please be responsible. But making those assumptions, you also wouldn't want people looking in on you when you go online. God, no. And using using the Internet without ExpressVPN is like going to the bathroom and not closing the door. So you probably know that with whatever internet service provider you use, like Comcast or Spectrum, they can see every single website that you visit. And what's worse is that a lot of them have been tied to selling that information to ad companies and tech giants who use that data to target you. ExpressVPN puts a stop to this by creating a secure encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet so that your online activity can't be seen by anyone. All they can see is that you connected to the VPN and from there you are secure. Um, I use ExpressVPN on all of my devices now, uh, from my phone to my router and everything in between. And uh, it's super easy. You just fire up the app, click one button, and you're protected on any device. Uh, ExpressVPN is the world's number one rated VPN by CNET, Wired, The Verge, and countless others. So, if you're like me and believe that your online activity is your business, secure yourself by visiting expressvpn.com slash overtired today. Use my exclusive link, expressvpn.com slash overtired, and you can get an extra three months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash overtired. And thanks to ExpressVPN for supporting the show. Yeah, I also genuinely am a paying user of ExpressVPN, even aside from their sponsorship of our podcast, which we greatly appreciate. And it is, it's the good shit. And yeah. uh, I mean, look, it's bad enough that YouTube knows your whole watch history <laughs> and can recommend crazy <laughs> stuff to you. But you don't also want like your ISP to sell your crazy YouTube watch history oh, to ad companies. Lord. So that you see it all over the internet, like, because no. Or if you're in a situation where your boss might care what your YouTube history looks like. Exactly. Exactly. Like, just, just, yeah. Or or if you're in a country with an oppressive regime, as previously stated. Uh, exactly. Precisely. Even if you're visiting a country with an oppressive regime, I, that is when I'm like, I'm using a VPN just to be safe because I do not want to get arrested for watching something that is doesn't going to anger people. Don't countries like China ban the use of VPNs? They do. However, many, not many, uh, a number of VPNs do actively work to play the cat and mouse game so that you can still use it. Oh, I'm Um, sure. Yeah. So, but it, but it, but it is like a, a cat and mouse game. But yeah, they do ban the use of, of VPNs. And in fact, um, Apple had to, and Google both had to remove all VPN apps from the app stores there uh, because of the the government basically being like, this is not allowed. Um, obviously, it is fairly trivial to then just get the app anyway. But yeah, you put something in the show notes that I. I think I'm curious about. I'm a little mm-hmm. worried that I might not be curious about it. No, you're going to love this. Okay. Tell tell me about Hannah Montana Linux. Okay. This is amazing. Uh, I'm not sure how old this is. I have a feeling that this is probably a decade old because the Hannah Montana show has been off the air for a really long time. Uh, but my good friend, Alex Kranz, uh, who is the uh, senior uh, reviews editor at Gizmodo, shout out to Alex. She sent this in our group chat uh, yesterday because um, I'm in a group chat with her and our good friend, Catherine, who works at the EFF or the Electronic Front, um, uh, Frontier Foundation. And the EFF um, basically gives Catherine a choice. Like she can use Linux or she can use a Mac. And they try to, you know, make everybody use like 
fully like FOSS software, uh, which makes sense. But that means poor Catherine has to use Thunderbird as her mail client, which are like, that sucks. And so um, Kranz was like, I have the perfect Linux distro for you. And she pasted this Hannah Montana Linux link. And I've discovered that someone created um, a Linux distribution called Hannah Montana Linux. It is based on uh, Kubuntu and um, it, it uses KDE 4.2 with a Hannah Montana theme. Um, it is fantastic. There are all kinds of, of wallpapers. Um, there are great screenshots. The person even created a song, I guess, apparently to the tune of one of the Hannah Montana songs with lyrics. In, and I'm going to put this link for you in our quip, Brett, so you can see it. But the, the lyrics, the song include things like, oh, yeah, boot up. You get the gooey out front, hottest styles, every theme, every color. Yeah, when you're not root, it can be kind of fun. Uh, as long as your password is never discovered, in some ways, you're just like all your friends. But on the internet, you're a star. So <laughs> I guess aside, this is great. Aside from you, who do you think the target audience for this is? Oh, I mean, I think that this was just a pure shit post, but it's beautiful. Okay. <laughs> that makes sense. That like, adds like if you, up. Like if, if, you, if you read the, 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 the fact, it says... Um, you know, how slash why did you make such a great OS? I thought, uh, I thought, what would attract young users to Linux? So I created this idea after a lot of reading and work, <laughs> <laughs> which, you know, I just, I, I think, you know, it was just, it, the whole thing is just, it's really funny. Um, I, uh, I shared this on Twitter and uh, a, a surprising number of people were like, yeah, this I I'm I'm into this. So again, I don't know how old this is. The 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 Mercurial Source database that it links to is no longer even active, which tells you how long this how long ago this you know was. Well, it used Mercurial as version control, so it's pretty pretty ancient. Uh, fair, right? So uh, again, like I this this is old. This but and and people who are listening might be like, oh, this was a meme years ago. Okay, well I was not aware, and now I am, <laughs> and I'm a huge fan. I didn't so, know. I missed it. <laughs> I did miss it. And I'm like, this is fantastic. Like, this is just really, really good. Uh, Wait, they even and, have a printable Hannah Montana Linux logo for the back of your PC. I mean, exactly. See, this is what I'm talking about. Like, this is, it's just a thing of beauty. And I just, this is the sort of shit that, you know what? Like, I miss this. Like, we need this. There's a sticker that says, designed for Hannah Montana Linux, Windows Vista incapable. Oh, God, this is so good. Um, it, I, I'm, see, this is the shit that like we need more of in this world. And copyrights and, and other stuff be damned, because I'm sure that this was breaking all kinds of copyright things. I, I would suggest that we come up with like an overtired Linux distro that is tailored to the <laughs> themes. Um, but I don't want her to sue us. Uh, I mean, although that I'm not going to lie, that would also be a badge of honor to be sued sure. by Taylor Swift or to have even a lawsuit threatened by Taylor Swift. But we, we I don't did want get to a cease and desist. Just kidding. But that would be a badge wish, of honor. I wish that would I be wish a badge we of honor. had got, I would I would wear proudly a badge oh God, that said I got a cease and desist from Taylor Swift. Oh my God. We shouldn't yes. make those anyway and just lie about it. Oh my God, that's actually a really good idea. We should we should be doing merch. This is what all the YouTubers do is they have merch, and so we should uh, Mer a merch in a Patreon. That's what we need. Yeah, listeners, let us know. Would you be interested in some overtired merch that said things like "I got a cease and desist from Taylor Swift"? Like, let us know. Yeah. Okay, so I got a Stream Deck. Okay. Are you familiar with it. the Stream Deck? Oh, I'm very familiar. I love mine. Tell me about yours. I, I got it as part of a job. I have a client who wants what I'm pretty sure are going to be impossible things for it to do um, that involve like scripting web pages, which is a fragile and, and delicate thing to even attempt. But I went ahead and just to explore it, I set up a uh, a podcast folder for, okay, for anyone who doesn't know, it's a uh, you can get them in different sizes. Mine is a mini. It only has six buttons, but each of the buttons in the grid is uh, like an OLED uh, display. 
and you can mm-hmm. put any icons on it, words, pictures, colors, um, and y- they can change. So you can create folders uh, and subfolders full of different icons, and then you can have them do like I most of mine trigger hotkeys and launch applications, but there's a whole library of actions you can assign to these uh, these buttons. So I have one that pops up. NV Ultra for and Quip for taking notes during a podcast, a button that starts a macro that launches my um, session recording in Audio Hijack and starts a timer, and then a button to pause the recording and the timer, and then another button that inserts the timestamp in the notes for however long I've been recording. And that's kind of my little podcast folder on this thing. And I am... I've had a lot of input devices with a lot of buttons. I really like this kind of visual, uh, not having to memorize keypads full of buttons. I like, I like the pictures, turns out. Yeah, no, and it's, it's, it's really extensible. There's a lot of stuff that you can do with it. Uh, the most popular app that people use with it is, is probably like OBS or the, the open broadcasting system, yeah. which you can get really granular with. And that's what I, that's how I discovered this and, and how I um, use mine, but you can use it with all kinds of things. And uh, no, it's, it's really, really awesome. I will also say for anybody out there, if, cause it's, it's like a hundred dollars, I think for the mini, and I think the regular one's like 150 and I don't know how much the XL is which is the really big one. But um, if you want to try out a Stream Deck and you don't know if you want to pay for the hardware or not, Elgato actually makes an iOS app that will let you basically do the exact same thing. It's like 30 bucks. Stream Deck Mobile. Yeah, and it's actually really good. And it it interacts with the companion app on your um, Mac or PC the exact same way. So that is an alternative and it has like a three day free trial or seven day free trial or whatever. So you can actually try that out if you are wanting to, you know, like figure out like, do I actually want to invest in, in hardware like this or not? Um, I'm, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm a really, really big fan. And I'm actually really excited that you have one now because it's funny. I've often thought of you when I've used it. I'm like, people always ask me, people are like, so what do you think of Stream Deck? And I'm like, I don't know. I've never tried one. Now I have. Now I can tell everyone. Yeah, but I'm also looking forward to you like figuring out ways to, <laughs> to script macros and do other really interesting things with it. I've been um, doing a, a lot of work with Keyboard Maestro and then just using it to trigger Keyboard Maestro macros, which is, I guess, because I'm most comfortable scripting in that way. But yeah, I'm sure I'll dig deeper into it. Yeah, yeah, no, it's cool. Elgato, um, I mean, you're probably one of the only people who remembers this, but like, remember when they were like a Mac company? Yeah. Yeah. Um, they, Corsair bought them a couple of years ago and they have full on pivoted straight into the gaming space. And um, it's, uh, it's been kind of cool to see, but also a little weird because, I, yeah. I used to have one of those little uh, H.264 dongles mm-hmm. that took uh, MPEG compression uh, processing off your CPU. Yep. Yeah, that, and I used to have one of their ITVs things. Oh my god, I have that. I still have that. It's out in a box of things that I. It's too late for me to sell them on like Facebook Marketplace, but if I I know if I hold on to it for another ten years, they might be classic hardware. Exactly. I have one almost new in box, right next to the original Apple TV that I have in that box. That's awesome. Which is right yeah. next to the original Time Machine. Anyway. Yeah. So it was funny during quarantine, I wound up like basically buying almost everything that Elgato makes. Um, I bought one of their green screens um, and I got. Did like, you get the... a key light? I did. I got two of the key light airs and I like them a lot. I really I've been curious about those. They're really good. Um, you know, again, you can control it with software mm-hmm. either on mobile or, um, you know, on your PC, but also just flat out, you know, the main, you know, huge brightness is good i wanted to get the regular key light but i got the key light air uh because that was all that was in stock um i also got their multi-mount which is kind of like their it's like 60 bucks once you get all the parts together but it basically is this thing that you can either clamp it to a desk but it also has a heavy a heavy base and you can attach basically anything that has uh you know the size of like what would be like a, a normal sort of um 
I guess, what am I like, like tripod type of yeah. mount sort of thing on it. And so you can mount, you know, your phone, you can mount ca- cameras, you can mount, you know, certain types of lighting systems, other stuff. It holds a, a decent amount of weight and it's really flexible and it can move around. And um, I, I like that. I got their green screen. Uh, the one that I got is uh, I have it mounted on my wall. So it's, it's not uh, the one that like you pull up, like it's when you yeah. pull down, but that's good. I got two of the key light airs. I got the uh, cam link 4k, which will let you use your DSLR yeah. as a webcam. But I also got, because that was sold out when I first tried to buy it. And then like an hour or two later, I was able to actually get it. But they have um, this capture device, the HD 60 S plus, and it, you need the plus it's only at Best Buy. That is technically like a video game pass-through kind of streaming system. So you could connect like your your Switch, your Xbox, your PS4, whatever, and record content from it. But the S Plus version, not the S, the S Plus version has the same um, chip in it so that you can use it with a webcam on a Mac. And it will um, work um, with with a Mac to be seen as like just a a normal... um, you know, um, webcam yeah, sort of nice. thing. So, so if you can't find the cam link, uh, for anybody out there, um, the HD 60 S plus might be more available. It's like $30 more, but it's, it's fine. Um, it, cause people, people are selling these things for like ridiculous sums of money because of everybody now having to work remotely. And you so, cannot find webcams anywhere anymore. No, you can't. I mean, um, that's the thing. Yeah. So have you seen camo from reincubate studios? I have not. Um, it is an app that that turns your iPhone into a webcam, meaning you get all the quality of your iPhone camera as a webcam. And oh, it that's is awesome. pretty slick. There's a free version. Uh, the, it just lacks some of the, the finer controls, but you can use the front-facing camera or the rear camera. And the pro version costs $40. You buy it for your Mac and then get the companion app for your phone. And you just plug it in over USB and use, uh, like, instead of having the whole DSLR with the the interfaces and everything, you can just use your iPhone camera. See, that's awesome. And that's that's really good. And that's better for a lot of people because you already have an iPhone. Right, um, exactly. <laughs> better for me because I'm not going to drop $1,000 on looking good on a Zoom call. Which is what I did, which was stupid, but I was like, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right. What actually made me mad is yeah, that but I had... You're, you're young and beautiful. You have to look good. Me, I'm bald and old. No one cares how I look. It's a pure vanity on my part. Yeah, I mean, I, this is true. Like, I do need to look a certain way when I'm doing, like, certain types of recordings. But that said, I still spent more than I needed to. Um, so I had a Sony uh, RX100 Mark V-A, which does 4k and is a tiny camera but is a very good camera and was like nine hundred dollar nine hundred or a thousand dollars when i bought it and still is selling new i think for you know seven hundred dollars or so uh that camera overheats if you were trying to use it as a webcam which i found i couldn't use it for more than five minutes which wow which was a real problem and uh the 5a was supposed to get rid of that like overheating problem it did not on mine and I was pretty frustrated with that. And so I um, had to get a, a Sony a6400. Um, I didn't have to. I could have gotten a non-4K <laughs> camera. I could have spent a lot less money. But I I went to this place where I was so frustrated by this. I was like, if I'm going to be spending this much, what's another $100? Uh, and then that became what's another $200. And, mm-hmm. you know, before you know it, you're spending $1,000 on all this shit. Uh, but... In in my defense, I mean, it's a complete business write-off, like sure. 100%, uh, like not even a question because I, I am not using this for anything but but work. And, uh, you know, Microsoft Build, which was our big developer conference, was coming up. And although when I was hosting, most of the hosting stuff I did was from uh, the studio where they uh, the studios have been – some of them have been deemed essential and they had, you know, like incredibly like – safe and well set up you know like social distancing and masks and cleanliness and like really just did a stellar job um you know i I came in and and shot for those things but a couple of the things that i did i was recording remotely from my house and you know this is our big developer conference like this is you know like our equivalent of wwdc so you don't want to use your imac 720p 
webcam right. for that, yeah. you know, and, and I didn't have something like camo. Um, so uh, I might've been aware of it. I think it's gotten better, but there have been some issues historically, I think with some of those apps working with things like OBS or teams or zoom or whatever. But I think in the last few months that's been worked out. It, it does specifically say it works with teams and with um, Skype and zoom. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So on Mac, there's been this issue and they fixed it. Um, thanks to the open source people, but there has been this issue. There's this weird thing about however webcams work on Mac OS. There's like a certain type of driver that you have to have. And Elgato actually ran into that. And that was why the, the um, Camlink 4K and the HD 60S Plus are different than some of their other interfaces on a Mac, like on a, on windows, it'll work just fine. Um, if you want to use one of the older interfaces for webcam capture, but there is a weird sort of driver thing that you need for Mac OS to be used as, um, a, a webcam input and not everything had it, but, um, OBS was having some major issues on Mac with, uh, Skype's, um, NDI interface and, the wonderful people there, they did, somebody figured it out and, and made it work, which like saved so many people's lives. Um, have you played with OBS at all, Beth? I have Brett? not. I, um, I'm okay. actually planning to check it out after this because I didn't even realize it was a thing. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, it is. And, and what's great about it is that it is, it is open source. I actually contribute to the Patreon of um, the, the main developers because they get some money from companies who use their stuff to sell commercial products, but frankly, not as much as they deserve. And the the Windows port is definitely better. Uh, the Windows and Linux stuff is definitely better than Mac OS, but there are some people who are doing like legit great work um, on the on the Mac OS version. And it is it's pretty awesome. It basically lets you create a, a TriCaster if you're familiar with that. Uh, yes. on your, like with software. Nice. Um, and, and, and it is in a lot of ways, like if you look at something like Wirecast Pro, which yeah. is great, but is over a thousand dollars and out of, you know, reach for a lot of people, certainly yeah. out of my reach. Um, OBS is, uh, in, in many cases, um, just as good. It works really well with the stream deck. Um, it's it's primarily obviously for you know video stuff, but you could use it for other sorts of recordings too. It's cool. really cool. Um, you're 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 gonna you're gonna dig OBS and the I have to say again, like I I give to the the Patreon because um like Logitech and some other companies have basically commercial products that they have forked and use a lot of their stuff, which is totally fine. That's what open source is about, but. Um, for things like the NDI drivers, a lot of the Mac support and things like that, like this is all coming from people who are doing this on not a lot of money, especially compared to what they could be paid if they were like full-time developers, you know, at big software companies. I will check it out. Speaking of things we're supposed to check out, did you watch How to Build a Girl? I did. I did. I also watched Reality Bites, despite somebody not remembering to invite me to their Plex. No, I know this is my problem because Grant controls the Plex controls. And oh, I'm sorry. Grant. I, Damn I you, know. Grant. I know. I'm sorry. Tell him um, he's been tell him he's been publicly shamed to thousands of listeners. Thousands um, of people. I uh I uh, I think we should save our, our discussion of those for next week though. I think so. I think so, yeah. Um and not just because I have super short attention span because I'm unmedicated right now, but also because <laughs> we're at an hour and you know, yeah. you know, I like to keep things a, a tight 60. This is not the talk show, right? <laughs> right. Right. We have we have limits. We have yeah, standards. I, the episode that I did with with Gruber um, a, a couple months ago, it was like two and a half hours. Yeah, I can't I can't talk to anyone for that long. Yeah. Anyhow, it has been great catching up with you after after my week of of uh, obscene boredom. It's, yeah, it's I, nice to hear an excited voice. It's nice to talk to you. And I'm super sorry that um, you have not had your meds, but I'm like crossing my fingers that that will get resolved. Yeah, and... at least my doctor didn't quit. Yeah, it's yeah, that had to be like the worst. I would have that sort of panic. Yeah, it was. The, ugly. The, that's the sort of like thing that I would freak out about. So <laughs> see <laughs> what you need too. to do, though. 
See, here's what you need to do, though. You need to get L diagnosed with ADHD, even if she doesn't have it, just so you can have backup beds. Oh, yeah, because that couldn't possibly go wrong. Okay. I would get busted for that is what I'm saying. All right. Well, um, our homework for this week, then, is just to uh, to remember everything we have to say about these movies. Okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to rewatch both of them and take notes. I took mental notes on Reality Bites. I didn't take actual notes, but I, that's fine. I, I, I've, I've, I have a, a solid foundation to air some complaints because that's my that's my role in this. I'm the guy who complains. It is, I'm, it is. I'm and and I want to hear the, I, I want to hear your grievances on uh, Reality <laughs> Bites um, for sure. I think that we do need to air our grievances of a now 26 year old movie. <laughs> It actually shit. held up. It held up surprisingly well, but we'll get to that. We will get to that. We will get to that again. Uh, we're not going to uh, go into now, but I do think that Ben Stiller deserves more credit than he um, gets for his like, as a film director. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> all right. Well, get some sleep, Christina. Get some sleep, Brett. The system is going down low.